This week on Hometown Ghost Stories. Plymouth, Massachusetts is one of the oldest cities in America, so it's no wonder why it's haunted by so many spirits. From one of the oldest cemeteries in the country to the Spooner House, it seems that almost every building in downtown Plymouth has a ghost story to tell. We also dive into our first listener-submitted ghost story here on Hometown Ghost Stories. This is episode number five, A Haunting in Plymouth, Massachusetts. Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. George was getting the van filled with the tools and materials they'd need for today's project. The crew was actually excited this morning. After all, it's not every day you get to work on a historic house in Plymouth that's now a museum. They loaded up, stopped at the nearest Duncan, and proceeded to the museum known as the Spooner House to do some minor repairs on the property. Upon arrival, they approached and knocked on the door. They were greeted by a little girl wearing colonial clothing, and she told them to come in. Being a museum, they didn't think it was that strange, and that it was a worker's daughter, probably, playing the part. They stepped in and looked around before they noticed the little girl was gone, and they heard her somewhere from the top of the stairs say, I hope we get to play later. Slightly puzzled that they didn't see her go upstairs, They didn't think much of it and started to go back out to grab materials. 30 minutes later, the curator of the museum showed up. He walked up to George looking a bit alarmed and asked how the crew had managed to get inside. George explained that the little girl had let them in. The curator responded that he was the only one with the key and no one should be there. At that moment, they heard the sound of laughter of a little girl at the top of the stairs. I'm Rob Coakley, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Plymouth is a small town about 40 miles south of Boston in Massachusetts. Generally regarded as America's hometown, it's the place the pilgrims landed in 1620 to escape religious persecution. Unfortunately for them, they landed in the dead of winter. 45 of the 102 that set sail died during this time frame. Around 50 years later, war broke out with the local Native Americans under the leadership of Medicom otherwise known as King Philip. The reasoning for this war was the colonists expanding their territory further and further, but the main spark that ignited it completely was the trial and execution of three of Medicom's men for murder. The murder was on a Native American who became Christian named John Sassamon. John warned the colonists that Medicom was planning war. They would ignore his claims. Not long after John's body was found in an icy pond. 
this war expanded throughout the territory and was extremely bloody and violent. On August 12, 1676, a group of rangers tracked Metacom in Bristol, Rhode Island, and he was shot and killed by a Christian Native American named John Alderman. Upon his death, his body was cut into quarters and hung in trees. Alderman was given his right hand as a trophy, and they also beheaded King Philip. They would place King Philip's decapitated head on a spike that sat right at the entrance to Plymouth for the next 20 years. Coles Hill Crypt. The original burying point for the pilgrims was on Coles Hill. It's believed that 45 to 50 of the original group of pilgrims that came were buried here. There were no markers placed for any of the deceased as they didn't want the Native Americans to be able to see how many people they had lost. In 1735, a storm washed skulls and bones into the harbor. In the 18th and 19th centuries, excavations uncovered more of the remains. In 1921, they were placed in a stone crypt on the hill, and it is now a public park. On certain nights, people have heard the sounds of voices and laughter as they pass the crypt, only to discover that no one else is around. The ghost of the old Burial Hill Cemetery. Not far from Coles Hill, Burial Hill became the main cemetery in Plymouth for centuries. Visitors of Burial Hill have seen ghostly figures dressed in clothing of the Pilgrims era. Who could these spirits be? Let's examine a few of those laid to rest here. William Bradford's final resting place is at Old Burial Hill. William came over to Plymouth on the Mayflower and served as the governor of the colony intermittently for a little over 30 years before he passed. Is he roaming the graveyard to make sure the area he governed is still running to his expectations? William Crow. William Crow is also buried at Old Burial Hill. William built a house in Plymouth in 1664 called Plain Dealing. This was the longest surviving house in the town until 1993, when it was demolished to make room for a 7-Eleven. Perhaps the destruction of his house has caused him to come back. Edward Gray. Edward Gray has the oldest readable stone in the cemetery. Although his death was quite average, there is a legend that surrounds him. There's a rumor of an older brother that smuggled him and another younger brother onto a ship and sent them to Plymouth so that he didn't have to share their recently deceased parents' extremely large inheritance. It could be Edward wandering the graveyard at night, looking for ways to get back what's owed to him. Thomas Southland Howard. The legend surrounding Thomas is that he met his end because of a witch named Mother Crew. He caught the witch squatting on his land. When he forced her to leave, she told him, make your peace because you will not live to see another sunset. They'll dig your grave on Burial Hill. The very next day, Thomas fell from his horse and died of the injuries, and her curse proved to be true when they laid him to rest on Burial Hill. Maybe part of the curse is for Thomas to not be able to rest peacefully for all eternity. Wreck of the Brigadier General Arnold. There's a mass grave that resides in Burial Hill. In 1778, the ship the Brigadier General Arnold ran aground during a blizzard. 
The residents of Plymouth could see the ship, but couldn't get to it for days because of the inclement weather. When they finally were able to reach the vessel, at least 70 of the men had frozen to death. Captain James McGee was one of the few who survived the ordeal. He pleaded that when he died to be buried with his men, although it is believed that he never was. Now it's said that his ghost can be seen near the mass grave, protecting his men in the afterlife. The Spooner House Ghosts The Spooner House was built in 1749 and coincidentally sits on North Street. The house has been occupied by five different generations of the Spooner family until the death of James Spooner in 1954. James Will called for the house and all its belongings to be turned into a museum. There are still over 200 original items that furnished the home. And it's believed that James himself still wanders the halls and rooms of the house. James was a lover of music, and occasionally when the house is completely empty, people walking by have heard music begin to play from within the house. However, the more well-known ghost of this house is a little girl named Abigail Townsend. Abigail was the eight-year-old daughter of a fisherman who was away for work most of the time, and by all accounts, a quite abusive mother. Things were never good between the two, and when Abigail's father would come home late from one of his work trips, her mother would blame Abigail and beat her. This eventually escalated into Abigail's death. Her mother would blame a bad tooth that became abscessed, but many in town didn't believe the story. It is widely believed that the mother of Abigail brutally murdered her in a fit of rage. Since that time, there have been many sightings of a little girl in the house. She's been frequently seen in one of the upstairs bedrooms. People on the street have also seen a little girl peeking out a window from the top floor and playing with the shutters. The town legend is if you stand outside the house and say, Abigail, come play, you might just catch a quick glimpse of her standing in the upstairs window. The following story was sent in by a listener of their hauntings in Plymouth. My encounter doesn't have the typical setting that most hauntings have. This all occurred at my family's house that was built in 2001. No old creaky floorboards or unfinished basements that are hundreds of years old. Everything was new. Even if we did live in one of the oldest towns in America, this house was modern. And when we first moved in, everything was normal. In fact, I can't recall anything out of place happening in the first year. Then one day, that began to change. I was still in high school at the time, and I had a friend over. We decided to play chess in the dining room. Before the game began, I placed a half-empty glass of milk on the counter against the wall next to the sink. We began our game just talking about things going on at school. Halfway through the game, we began to hear something dragging slowly from the kitchen. We listened for a few seconds until it suddenly stopped. Then we looked at each other, and we heard a shatter. We walked into the kitchen, and the glass lay on the floor, broken beyond repair. While cleaning it up, we both kept talking about how we knew for a fact it was a few feet back from the edge and couldn't have fallen on its own. 
then, the sighting started. The one I can remember best is from my mother's room. I was walking down the hallway, and her door was open. She had a mirror directly across from the door, and I could see her reflection in it. I wanted to talk to her about something, so I approached her room and I said, Hey mom, got a minute? Before entering. As I walked in, I began to scan the room, and she wasn't there. In fact, no one was at all. As I began to leave dumbfounded, I looked down the hallway and saw my mom coming towards me from the complete opposite end of the house. Despite these and a few more instances, I still wasn't really convinced of much. I tried to find rational explanations like most. Then came the night that changed all of that. My parents were going out for the night and leaving me home with my little brother, and I had two friends staying the night as well. After everyone was there and my brother was settled in bed, my parents left. I started to feel a bit strange through the night, and I couldn't explain it, but I tried to keep myself in check. At one point, we were in the kitchen talking, and something came over me. I started talking aggressively and speaking in what felt like a made-up language. But the strange thing is, the entire time, I felt like I was watching myself do this rather than be in control. I could see the looks of surprise and confusion on my friends' faces that then turned into the looks of fear. After a few moments, I was able to stop and walked into the other room to compose myself. My friends followed, and we started talking about a fellow classmate that had passed away in a bad accident. As soon as my friend Sonny said he had a dream about him where he saw him in heaven, my dog began to bark and howl in a way that he had never before and was scratching at the door to get out of the room. We opened the door, and as soon as we did, we heard something moving around upstairs. It sounded like something scraping across the floor. Knowing my brother was up there in the crib, the three of us knew we had to go check on him. As we climbed the stairs, the scraping was getting louder. We rushed into my brother's room, and as soon as we saw him in the crib, the scraping from the hall stopped immediately. A few moments later, my parents came home, and my mother saw how frightened we all were. In fact, my friend Courage was so frightened, he called his parents to come pick him up. Once he left, we decided it'd be best to go to sleep and put it all behind us. My room was in the finished basement, which also had a large playroom for my brother in it, which my mother made sure to always have picked up when my brother was done playing. As we were laying down talking about what happened, we began to hear the scraping sound come from the playroom. We froze in fear for a moment, and then it began again. Terrified, we rushed out of bed into my parents' room, hearing loud banging behind us. My mother must have heard us running up the stairs and met us in the doorway. We explained what happened, and to this day she tells me it was the look on our face that let her know we just weren't playing around. She followed us back down the stairs, and we opened the door to the playroom. The toys and all the objects in the room were thrown everywhere. It looked like a small tornado had ripped through the room. We slept upstairs after that, and I even moved my bedroom back upstairs the next day. The funny thing is, nothing ever happened to me again while in the house. My parents sold the house recently, 
and my brother, now grown, and I were talking about the house. He told me he was going to miss it, but not the weird stuff he would see. Never telling my brother about the instances I just described, I asked him what he meant. He said there were a few things, but the thing that always weirded him out the most was walking by mom's room and seeing her in the mirror, only to notice that there was no one in the room at all. everybody welcome into episode number five of hometown ghost stories i'm jesse wilkins i'm joined by rob coakley and dave wilkins and uh this was plymouth massachusetts the uh america's hometown just in time for thanksgiving a little thanksgiving special for everybody yeah though this was a fun episode we're actually this is we probably should have called it part one because we will be doing more um more plymouth stuff in the future there's just so much in plymouth that can be added so Probably next Thanksgiving, we'll do like a part two for Thanksgiving for um, Plymouth and add quite a few other stories. So I don't want people to like bombard us with like, well, you missed the, the ghost on the beach and like all these other stories. Like, yeah, I know we left some stuff out, but it was intentional. We'll, we'll yeah, there's, there is a ton of history in Plymouth. Dave, you live in Plymouth. So, I do. Uh, and, and we've done ghost tours there in the past. That was one of the scariest. I, I was younger when I did a ghost tour in Plymouth, but that was uh, one of the scarier ones that I've ever been on. I remember we went on it and, you know, they took us around town into, you know, Burial Hill and different places that are, are down there and, you know, explained to us some of the haunted history. But then they brought us into a location. I don't remember where it was exactly, but uh, they brought us like down to this dark basement and this woman with like her veil on and like she was super creepy was telling us a story and i was a teenager at the time but i'm like holding my mother's hand just horrified because she did such a good job and i remember nothing about like the content of the stories but i just do remember how horrifying it was and um there are a lot more stories to go over in plymouth that's part of the the we've gone over it before but just like living in massachusetts living in this part of the country we get so much more of this stuff than other parts of the country and i'm sure like england's laughing at us right now because they're like oh yeah you're measly 300 years of history and yeah but they don't have any of the uh the native american culture either with the spirit walker ghosts and whatnot so we have i mean it's not like american history started in 1620 you know there's a ton right. and a ton of history and that's kind of what i thought was um interesting about the your our um hometown ghost story that you had there it was you know part of the point was that it was in a uh, brand new house it wasn't an old house or anything and it's, it's not a, a normal setting for a horror movie or horror st- or a scary story um but like you don't know what that house is built on top of there's so much history here you know it's it's plymouth that it's was so much my, yep. yeah, no, my point about that house is that we don't know what that was built on top of and this story was was sent to us from like a mutual friend of all three of us. And like when he was telling me the story, he's like, dude, it was a house. Like we built the house. It was a brand new house. And that's what I said to him. Like, well, yeah, you built the house, but 
you don't know what you built it on. Like you don't know what was there before. So like, just because the house is new, the land's not new, the, you know, everything surrounding it's not new. And the fact that it is a new house might be something too. Cause if it was a house that was 20 or 30 years old, we'd be like, well, why now? And we mentioned in last, last week's episode that sometimes these things take months, years, multiple years, even to, you know, start manifesting themselves. But if it's a newer house, that land is recently disturbed. So you had, you know, the construction crews in there digging out the basement. And, you know, if it did happen to be a burial site or some kind of a sacred ground there before, then you don't know what you, you stirred up. So if it's a, it's a relatively new house, then, then something new could have happened there. And we also explained, I think two episodes ago that we don't know the rules. Like there's no like guidelines. Like, well, if the haunting didn't start within a month, then, you know, or if it didn't start within two years, then it's not a haunting. You know, the, the, these, there are no rules when it comes to this stuff. And, um, it does make it a uh, pretty interesting. Uh, Fox asked, did you check out the registry of deeds? Yeah, I mean, we didn't, but I don't even personally know how to begin to do that. I'm sure it's not hard, but I should talk to. So it's our it's our other friend Rob who sent this story. Um, called and told me the story, and. It'd be a good question to ask him to get some more info on the thing. We're going to have him on a show in the future to check so that he can kind of, you know, just to be on the show with us. But I'm sure when he's on, we'll go over this this story a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, checking on that would probably be a good thing to do. Interesting fact about the Spooner House. We talked about the Spooner House. So the Spooner House is built... Or the museum, you know, it was a house anyways. It was built in 1747 and is run by five generations of the Spooner family located in downtown Plymouth. The Spooner House Museum has been said to be haunted um, in 778. Uh, sorry, in, I don't, did you go over the story of Joshua Spooner? Um, was he the music one? I didn't, go, I didn't I, touch I, I on much with the ever, Spooner family. Yeah, Wikipedia doesn't give us much, but it says Joshua Spooner was killed by three revolutionary soldiers at the, at the behest of his wife. Ready for her name? Bathsheba. <laughs> oh, I I did read about that. I didn't put it in. I don't know why I didn't. And put his it in, body but... was placed in a well. She became the first woman to be hanged in the United States. What a story! Yeah, how do Wait, I miss in what year? Seventeen seventy-eight. First woman to be hanged in the United States. No. That's what Wikipedia says. Okay. Well, what about Salem in the 1600s? <laughs> well, they were burned. They, they were burned. Yeah, <laughs> that's not true. They were hanged. I know, I know. There wasn't. Yeah, not a single Dude, witch was burned is, in Salem. They, Bathsheba Ruggles Spooner was the first woman in American history to be executed following the Declaration of Independence. Okay, following the Declaration. That's a that's an important caveat there. <laughs> Hang on one second. What? Yeah, we're in comments from the other room. I don't know what she's yelling about. Um, Set her up. Yeah, Discord Bathsheba account. petitioned to have she, she she's in the Discord. Uh, Bathsheba petitioned to have her execution delayed because of her pregnancy, which was first denied and then supported by some members of a group uh, charged with examining her to verify the pregnancy. After the four were executed, a post mortem examination revealed that she was five months pregnant. So they executed her and her baby died. Historians have pointed out that the trial and execution may have been hastened by anti loyalist sentiment. Whoa, that's a whole story. Yeah, well, whatever. I missed it. Relax. Well, no, that's why we have the second part of the show. <laughs> but it, but it, but the name is Bathsheba, which is... Uh, I which think is it was just a common name. name back then. Yeah, I wonder why that one didn't stick. 
everybody with that name ended up being a witch of some sort. Yeah, witched and hanged <laughs> and executed. Uh, Hog boss, thanks for uh, thanks for talking about. It. Yeah, America didn't exist before 1776. Sarcasm, of course. Um, Kate, uh, your wife brought up the ghost of T Bones. I yep. did hear that T Bones is haunted. No, I, uh, I don't even know if that's a complete joke. Like I heard that that building is haunted. Maybe. Um, Maybe I thought I mean, she was. I thought just she was making a joke uh, about T Bones closing for good. <laughs> <laughs> just the ghost of some eighteen-year-old underage drinking in there. <laughs> oh man, that place is a shit show. The ghost of T Bones is actually just Riptides. <laughs> <laughs> well, just the ghost jokes, of hearing yeah. the song "Yeah" for the third time every single day. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. <laughs> DJ ADP just crushing it. Yeah. <laughs> um. Some of the other haunted stories. Now, I don't want, like, you said we were going to go back there, so I don't want to go too far into it, but um, the Miles Standish State Forest is supposed to be haunted in uh, Cordage Park as well, which is right in the area that you were just in, which has the old, um, the, what was it? It was a factory, the rope, rope making factory. It's supposed Cordage, to be haunted. Park. But it's supposed to be haunted by, like, children. And I would want to know why it's haunted by children when it's a factory that probably, I mean, this was a different time. Maybe the children work there. 1800s. You know, there's probably a whole bunch of child labor going on there. So I guess the elevators operate on their own and stuff. There's but, um, also supposedly, uh, I think it's, is it Whitehorse Beach that has the ghost in Plymouth? It's one, one of the beaches. There's supposedly a ghost on one of them. I'm not sure exactly which one. I have to, I have to look up the story again. But um, I held that one out for next time just to get more information on it. Yeah, I mean, it's Plymouth. We're going to, like, we were just talking earlier, you know, yeah, we're going to be doing... It is, it is Whitehorse Beach, yep. We're going to be doing Salem at some point. That's not going to be a one-episode thing. Like, some of these yeah. towns, when we cover them, we're going to have to break into multiple, multiple um, episodes throughout the years, too, probably. Yeah, so we can effectively call this episode, uh, or part one of the uh, Plymouth series, so... Right. The, um... Yeah, that, that story was cool though. That story was crazy because, like, I know these, I know these guys, and I know Courage, and um, I know Rob, and he's explained to me like some of the, some stories before, but I'd never heard that one in particular, and that that's a serious one. And the, the thing that verifies it, I mean, obviously, you, you know, we know and trust them. Other people, you know, that are here knew they they don't know him, but uh, the the fact that you brought us. it back that his brother came out with the same story and his brother's like significantly younger than him and that's right. a story that rob never told him the fact that he brought up like the same story like, like give me chills it's insane so there's there's even more to the brother part um that i'd i'd rather rob get into himself because i don't want to tell the story wrong it just it it's it just it it didn't add to what his experience was but like it's a crazy part um his brother basically has um epileptic seizures i believe and he was shaken he was having one and somebody like either shook him or turned him turned him over this is why i was should have probably just waited for rob to tell it but when he woke up nobody else was in the house so somebody helped him during one of his seizures and there was no one else home so it's just like crazy stuff like that with that story and yeah, them having the same experiences. And like, so like we're, I was talking to Rob about it. He called me. So a few things about it is he called to tell me the story. He's like, you know, telling me everything. He's like, well, let's call courage and like, let's see what courage says. Right. So we called courage on three way and 
Courage told me the same exact story that Rob told me. Like it wasn't rehearsed. I mean, like I know these, I know like people listening to this don't know these guys like we know these guys, but they're not going to sit there and rehearse a story and call us and tell us, you know, like it's just, they don't have time for it. So <laughs> when, when he calls courage and courage just tells me verbatim word for word, like the night events, just they went through the night events and then I call courage and he does the same exact thing up until the point that he leaves the house. Right. And it's like, it's like, okay, well, it's pretty crazy that they were able to, you know, however long later, 15 years later, vividly tell me what they witnessed and what they felt that a lot of it was more like a lot of this story was feelings, like how they felt throughout the night too, mm -hmm. which was tough to put into words, like specifically yeah. raw. Well, you don't forget things like that. And, uh, you know, over the year, it, it just verified, you know, the fact that they had the same exact story. That's, you know, the old detective trick, put them in separate rooms and see if they tell them the same story, get them on the phone call twice in the same night. And all of a sudden the same story is there. So I'm glad we didn't go through all the things in Plymouth for two reasons. Number one is because the stories that you picked had like history to them. It had deaths tied to it. And, you know, like anytime there's a haunted story, I want a reason for it to be haunted. And the story that you just told, obviously, with Rob is just you don't really know what went on underneath the house and the ground that it's on and everything like that. But there's a few locations in Plymouth that are said to be haunted with no real good reason why they're haunted. Like So one of them, when you're downtown, uh, right near the waterfront, uh, there's the Mayflower Society house. And that one is supposed to be haunted. I mean, just because we don't know the reason something is haunted doesn't mean there isn't a reason. Exactly. Yeah. But this this one is, is like... Uh, Edward Wilson was there. It was built in 1754. I'm talking about the Mayflower Society house. As the story goes, he fled to Canada, leaving his spirit behind to haunt the house. So he just left his spirit and yeah, you know. went to Canada. Not That's a great true. story, but I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe it's something else that, that haunts the house. Wait and, here. Yeah. <laughs> you wait here. Keep an eye on this place. But uh, yeah, those, those locations are pretty... Uh, Pretty cool. And then they say the location of Plymouth Rock is haunted. Uh, the rock is now a symbol of the bringers of the planet. The rock is kept several feet below. There's just no good reason for that specific rock to be haunted. So yeah, there are locations in Plymouth where like, ooh, this is haunted and this is haunted. It's like, yeah. okay, but, but why? But why? Why would this random rock be haunted? That's not even the actual rock that Plymouth, you know, that they sort of they just took a rock and put it in a, at the a vault at, or the thing, whatever you want to call it. Mausoleum. Anyways, a nice so little they, mausoleum. The other cool thing for me about this episode is like I've I've walked through Burial Hill maybe once or twice before, but like with no direction. You know what I mean? Like I walk through without really like looking for anything particular. So let's and be like, honest. I, why you're, let's be honest about why you were walking through. We were tracking miles while we were hunting Pokemon a couple of years back. And Burial <laughs> Hill was an area that we walked through. <laughs> Plymouth is a great spot for Pokemon for anyone that still plays that game. <laughs> But like I, I went there this time like with intentions of finding specific graves mm -hmm. and like just taking the time to look around. Like that graveyard is amazing. Like it's just it's unlike a lot of other graveyards. The view you get from that, like, because you're on a legitimate hill over the town. So there's like different parts of that of that hill that you're just looking over like downtown Plymouth. Is that the one that's relatively it, it's down to it does it relatively close to Plymouth Rock, and then you go up that hill, and then there's yeah, a cemetery right there. Hill. Yeah, okay, so if, yep. right. You know where the big Christmas tree is every year? No, I don't. Okay, in that area, it's behind there. You go up the stairs where the big church is. 
Yeah, okay. Oh. I do know what you're talking okay. about. I, I don't know about yeah, so the big church that we had in the video. Yeah. I, but but yeah, it was like it was just pretty cool to like go um inspect that entire graveyard, get a lot of footage. And the one story I I don't know how I didn't know, but the uh the story of the ship that ran aground and all the sailors died in and that close-up does not look good with me having to get this close to the microphone. Um, but yeah, the, the General Brigadier Arnold, I believe it was, they they ran ashore in Plymouth. It was too cold. The weather was too inclemental to get to them. So they all just froze to death. Most of them froze to death in the ship. And they, they had to build a mass grave for them in the graveyard. And the captain like begged basically to be buried with his men, and he never was. And so supposedly people have seen the captain of a ship around that grave, which is to be fair. Cool. If he's alive, yeah, I bet if he just shot himself right there, he would have a, a better case of being buried with his men right there. So he, he survived the wreck then, right? Yeah. He's, he's one of the few that did survive. Yeah. He's still alive. Like you're alive. We're not going to bury you. <laughs> yeah. He's been alive for 250 years. That's <laughs> yeah, crazy. What a survival story. What yeah. a survival story. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I could understand that for sure. And, and you know, a, a guy who wanted to be in that grave and get buried, you could understand why his spirit would still remain, regardless if he didn't die right then and there. That's a, that's a very, I had never heard of that story either, actually. And um, those, th that shoreline, like the whole Plymouth down to Cape Cod is a notoriously like treacherous um coastline especially cape cod for ships to be sailing like a bunch of like yeah. pirate wrecks there the wreck of the um the what is it the the widow um sam bellamy's ship old school pirate um his ship crashed right off the, the coast of cape cod it was just like if you didn't know those those waters and the coastline and if you didn't have someone on board that was an expert at navigating the coast of cape cod and plymouth area then you were doomed and it, and there's shipwrecks all over the place like there's a whole bunch of documented ones going all the way back to the days of like blackbeard and stuff like that so it's um that you know that, that's probably one of the reasons so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's more shipwreck stories around that coast and um so that one that one makes sense very cool very good job so that's uh this this is uh anything else you guys want to touch on um so what i what i was trying to figure out about the spooner house was why was Abigail and her family in that house if the Spooners owned it for so long? You know what I mean? Like, so like it was supposed to be like five or six generations of the Spooners who just owned the house the whole time. So why was this family in the house? And I couldn't find anything to say it's why there was of, another yeah, family. Like they, they live there. Yeah. The, I mean, did they the work? Fam for the family, family occupied it for over two centuries. Uh, became a museum. In, uh, the last occupant. So the last occupant moved away in 1740. Okay, after the last occupant, that doesn't give me a year that they actually moved away. Visitors can tour the house. Doesn't say, um, but it does say a little girl died in the house. From it does say also from an abscess tooth, which you mentioned. That's probably not um, not the case. Uh, local legend says she'll often invite you to peer out a window when you knock at Halloween. A seance was held in the house a few years ago. A medium reported seeing not one, but two little ghosts. Huh. Yeah. So I, I'm guessing like the only thing I can think of is that they must've worked in the, like the family must've worked for the Spooner family or something. And 
were were able to stay in the house as part of like their payment or something. I mean, it's the yeah. only thing that I can think of. D- did you have a year on what what year she died? Um, eighteen. I was early eighteen hundreds, I think. Okay, so it's not after the the Spooner family moved out, I would assume. So no, because they had it up until like nineteen fifty two or something like that. Yeah, maybe it was like a servant situation where it was a servant that worked there and that was her daughter or something. That's but the, but then again, that the father was there as well, so I don't know. That's that's maybe we look more into that one. And then I I think when we visit episode two, we look more into this uh, Bathsheba thing. We love the name Bathsheba. Okay. There's always something tied to it. So, anyways, yeah. um, cool, cool. Well, I actually have to run to work, so we're gonna we're gonna get this a little short, but. Appreciate everyone who uh, hung out. This was Plymouth, Massachusetts. Rob, nice job on the video. Thanks, New spooky sir. tune on that one, courtesy of me. I love making spooky well, tunes now. Well, Do it all the time. Yeah. So, uh, guys, if you're still here, join the Discord. Here's a little link for it. Um, the one that pops up in the YouTube feed. So, uh, check it out. Join the Discord. You guys can be part of the uh, community. You can tell us your stories right in Discord. It's the best way to get a hold of us. You can also email if you're not a Discord type person, but the... Um, the it will be sharing promotions and stuff like that on uh on discord but uh that's that next week we go off uh we go across the seas across the pond to scotland we do a little episode on edinburgh which uh turned out to be a very deep episode which kept turning up new things and i kept having to add more and more to it but i'm excited to bring this episode to you for so we have the uh the poltergeist of Greyfriars churchyard i say that now and then we also have uh, the the hidden vaults, which I didn't really know about until I started digging more into it. So it's going to be awesome. Going to be very awesome. So, um, yeah. gentlemen, uh, you can follow Dave on Twitter at DaveWilkins12. Rob is on Twitter at King Coakley. And the uh, Twitter for the show is HT Ghost Stories on Twitter. So thank you guys for tuning in. This has been episode number five of Hometown Ghost Stories. <laughs>